Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. What follows is an edited version of a fireside chat with members of the Integral Life Practice Community. Okay, well thank you all for joining me for this hangout on a weekday afternoon. And it's casual and um, always up for a good conversation. So I'll start with just some reflections of my own as I look at culture and politics and the evolution of consciousness. And then we'll have some opportunity for you to share with each other. And then we'll come back for some discussion Q&A. And, um, and I think that's pretty much it. So I'm going to start by saying something I think that I do all the time is I'm going to assume that everybody on this call and indeed listening to this, if it makes it to the podcast forum, has the capacity for integral consciousness, at least on a good day. And we like our integral consciousness. It feels right. And we want more of it. We want it to be more stable. And one of the reasons that we get together in venues such as the Integral Practice Community, the Integral European Conference, and all of the seminars and workshops that Namali and I and many of you have done over the years is that it's wonderful to create a we space with other integral thinkers. Uh, and um, it, it, it helps to stabilize and in, 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 in a way, in a good way, concretize the ways that we're thinking, the grooves that we're cutting in the cosmos. And it's really important because otherwise it's still a first tier world, you know. Integral is a thin cutting edge of, uh, of cultural and consciousness evolution. Some of it self-identified with the Wilberians and so forth, uh, the metamodern, all that good stuff. But in a lot of it's just de facto, just people thinking multi-perspectively. But for the most part, we're living an integral life, we're trying in a polarized world, listening to polarized talking heads on the TV and the YouTube and re reading polarized tweets and Facebook posts and listening to our friends reiterating the same polarized positions, you know, ignoring, excusing the fanatics on our side, painting the other side with the sins of their fanatics. And you know, in a way, that welcome to evolution, welcome to fighting it out. And people are fighting it out and friending it out in the arenas that are interesting to them. And that's the way it should be. And I think sometimes, sometimes I think it's just first tier is going to first tier. You know, they're supposed to. But what's our role as emerging second tier? And I hear it all the time. I hear it in some of the questions that come up in these fireside chats. How do we get people to see this? How do we bring the great intelligence and heart of the integral vision to what Ken Wilber said, a world that desperately needs it? So that's the question I want to pose today and, and also take a stab at answering myself. And one of the answers I have that I talk about a good bit is that we, we're the universal donors, right? We're the worldview who can be friends 
with all other worldviews. And so that's really good. And we want to cultivate that, our receptivity, if you will, by listening to them, but not just as a, as a thing to do, but listening to them as a function of just being really curious about everybody and really letting them in. And <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder about the sort of downside of that. It's like, I, I confess that I often end up believing the last person I talked to because I did. I believed them while they were talking. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I like the idea of being able to articulate a worldview's position as well as they do. And so that curiosity and receptivity is a very big part. But there's also uh, an active part where we want to argue, you know. And, and I, always, <laughs> I always think of Alan Watts' great line about at a certain level of development, the, the argument is, it's like he said, regarding belief in God. He said, if you believe in God, then I don't believe in God. If you don't believe in God, then I believe in God. It's like you can take the opposite. Uh, you, can, you can work with any perspective because you can see the downsides of it. And I think with certain people in certain circumstances, and I invite you to think about yourself and your civilian friends, you know, how do you work that? Uh, how do you point out stuck points or how do you help people through stuck points? And I wanted to share one of my small victories this week where I was watching Bill Maher with some friends. And, you know, I, I'm a Bill Maher fan. I think Bill Maher is, you know, he certainly exit green, exit orange into integral. I have my critiques of him, but he's... Uh, He's hard to peg, and that's that's good. And he had Elon Musk, who was another one. I did a podcast on Elon Musk, uh, where I made the case that he is a spiral wizard, and uh, that he can function from every stage of development, including red. <laughs> um, and so, at any rate, that these two guys were having an interview was kind of a big deal. So we were watching it, and they were talking about you know, the evolution of technology and Twitter and the Gutenberg press and how humanity is developing a nervous system. It was, you know, Elon is very evolutionary in many ways. In terms of technology, he is in terms of the third person. And he's talking about how Starlink will, you know, you'll be able to get all the information that in the world at the tip of your fingers in the middle of the Amazon because the Starlink's up there. And so that's all good. We're watching. And then they get to uh, this part here. I mean, you have talked about this yeah. woke mind virus yes. in, in really apocalyptic terms. Yeah. I don't, you should explain why you don't think it's hyperbole to say things like it's pushing civilization towards suicide. First of all, what is the woke mind virus? And if we don't deal with this, nothing else can get done. Tell me why you think that. Yeah, so. Um... OK, I hate to interrupt because uh, but I can't run too much YouTube or they don't like it. So his quick answer is that the woke mind virus is anti-democratic and anti-free speech, to which Bill responds, yes, it seems like it's attacking liberalism itself. So that's what they say. And then here we go into this next part. This, uh, 
Woke mind virus. How did it start? Was it bats? Was it a, a <laughs> yeah. escape from a lab? I mean, what, what is your assessment of what? Because it's fairly recent. <laughs> why, did, why? How did it start, and why? The, the amount of indoctrination that that's happening in schools and, and universities is, I think, far beyond what parents realize. Um, and I, I only I sort of came to realize this somewhat, somewhat late. Um, the, the the experience that we had. Uh, in, in high school and college is not the experience that, that kids today are having um, and, and hasn't been for, I don't know, ten, 10 years, maybe 20 years. All right, again, I'd like to play more and please check it out, it's on YouTube. Uh, but the, Elon goes on to talk about a friend of his who has two daughters in high school and the friend was asking his daughters, do you know the presidency, the uh, first presidents? And they knew Washington there in high school. Uh, what do you know about Washington? Well, he was a slave owner, and that was really all they knew. So this is, and you know, as far as it goes, this is a good critique of woke, but integral just so brings so much more to the table. And so we were talking about this. I was talking about this with my friends, and there's kind of softened up. They've, I've been, you know, they've listened to a podcast or two, and they, we've talked for years about integral. But this was definitely a stuck point for them because they're sympathetic to woke and they're sympathetic to the anti-woke. And, um, and that's a good place to start because a lot of people are actually, you know, we hear from the extremes. The media just loves that because it, you know, hooks our nervous system and sells ads. But, um, you know, from an integral perspective, there's so much more that we can bring to the table. First of all, one, one is that every new stage of development is a mind virus. <laughs> you know, it just gets in there and it duplicates and replicates because conditions are right. And because there's a growth built into the system. And so what we would say is that woke is the activist arm of the green meme of the postmodern worldview the activist arm and maybe often the fanatical arm. But it's the postmodern worldview. Postmodernity is a movement of human history and it is marked by a new, out of nowhere, dedication to egalitarianism, world centrism. It's psychologically sensitive. Um, and it's an astonishing development of, in human history when you think of the previous 10,000 years of humans trying to, you know, grind each other into the dirt. So this is a new stage that cares about people who have been left out, cares about the victims, cares about the sinners, cares about the losers, cares about, you know, this uh, addressing poverty, the environment, world centrism, and that Every stage of development has come online. It's fanatics. And get on schedule. The woke fanatics. They are in reflexed opposition to everything about the previous stage, just like modernity repressed religion. You know, we, it's like Ken Wilber said, we went from a world where God was everywhere to a world where God was nowhere in about a hundred years, you know, uh, religion repressed magic. So, you know, this is 
this normalizes the process. We don't have to hate them. We don't have to think this shouldn't be happening. It's awful that it is. I can't stand that somebody needs to be blamed. But we can just not want them, the fanatics, to colonize the whole system, which is what they're devoted to doing. <laughs> so that's, you know, I, we had a discussion about that. They got it. It felt good. It felt like I brought a little bit of integral sunshine into this dark and, you know, suffering world. Even with fanatics, our job as integralists is to be curious about what they're saying. You know, some of these crazy people, conspiracy theorists, whatever you want to, you know, ultra gender fluid curiosity, you know, really letting it in. And I think of myself, I'm far more conscious today than I was even a year ago regarding race, regarding gender, fluidity, the integration of masculine and feminine, which I consider to be a get right on schedule. I think they have problems. One of my most popular tweets was no sex surgery or firearms until you're 26. You know, maybe there's some things we can do there. Uh, even the argument for equality of outcomes. You know, the liberal argument is for the equality of, of, of opportunity. I think there's an argument for the equality of outcomes or at least less inequality. And I'm moving, I feel myself moving on this. And the culture itself is as well. And that's, you know, that's interesting. So what do we actually do? I'm gonna play a little bit of Elon again here because this is a sort of a kind of a subtle point and, but I think it's important. And that is to get a little more comfortable with criticism. Let people criticize, let first tier be first tier, even with you. I think that the, one of the, corrections of the sensitive self will be this differentiation between what you need to be sensitive to and what there's a lot of karma, you know, historical, you know, get, getting criticized was deadly in human history, uh, that we can tease these things apart. And I think Elon shows us the way here. So I'm going to um, play this again here. Well, you're a likable guy. I mean, no, I mean, I they, mean yeah. they attack you a lot. They do. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you seem to laugh it off, which I think is fantastic. Just that simple. That good hearty <laughs> Yes, they, uh, hang on. They criticize me, ha, ha, ha. So I think that's one thing, actually. It's not insignificant. And then the second is to just, and I talk about this all the time, tease apart what's good and what's bad about post-modernity, modernity, traditionalism, also read earlier stages, magic, myth, you know, awareness without thought, all of it into a new integration. And, um, and I think, we're, like I said, I think the culture is doing that. There's uh, one significant success story that I would point out here. And this was an editorial in the Washington Post, and not just an editorial, but written by the editorial board. This is the voice of the Washington Post, which is very liberal, very woke. I mean, that, their critics would consider them extremely woke. And this was printed last weekend. And the article was about pushing back, well, here's the, the, the headline. These universities are pushing back on censorious students, finally. So 
it, the whole editorial is about pushing back against students at universities that it's like Elon said, people don't realize how, uh, how the, the concentration of green and the hegemony of green in academia. These universities are pushing back on censorious students. How about that word, huh? censorious, I love it. Finally, in March, a Cornell University sophomore and member of the undergraduate student assembly saw a friend become visibly disturbed while reading The Surrender, a novel with a graphic rape scene. So she spearheaded a resolution that, quote, implores all instructors to, to provide content warnings on the syllabus for any traumatic content that may be discussed, unquote. On the surface, this story has all the trappings of a wider phenomena increasingly prevalent on American university campuses, the curtailing of academic inquiry, and sometimes even free speech for the protection of perceived student, quote, sensitivities. And again, this sensitive self is coming online. It's a new thing. We didn't have it growing up. Our grandparents didn't have it. It's a new thing. Nevertheless, invisible boundaries. Okay, then they talk about these sensitivities creating invisible boundaries whose contours are never quite clear, but almost always couched as barriers against harm. Again, this is so good. And then they went on, they said, so what happened next after this petition is a cause for celebration. The Cornell administration immediately struck down this resolution, a welcome reminder that academic institutions have the power to defend their fundamental values and are willing to use it. Across the country, a growing number of administrations and faculties at universities, both private and public alike, are beginning to do the same, waking up to the realization that academic freedom needs to be protected and that student outrage on social media should not dictate university policy. So uh, that's a very significant move in the last week in terms of a new, I'm always interested when, you know, the, the dyed-in-the-wool progressive has a post-progressive view. And that's how I see this. And um, yeah, so uh, also just a, a quick, a couple quick tidbits here. The Wall Street Journal and University of Chicago just did a big study of the American people, and you know they're credible um, uh, surveyors. And the culture is moving just like I am. So there's just a couple things here on accepting people who are transgender. Fifty-six percent of respondents said our society has been about right or has not gone far enough. Okay, that so that's fifty-six percent. You know. Things are good there. Uh, the anti-woke view, which is that we've gone too far, is held by 43% surveyed. Imagine that 20 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, when Obama was arguing that a marriage should be between one man and one woman. 15 years ago. Uh, on promoting equality between men and women, 86% that we're doing about right are, are very good. Uh, on businesses taking steps promote racial and ethnic diversity, 70% were doing it about right versus 28%. So there's, um, there's movement in the society. And we, I think, I want to take some credit for it. <laughs> I think we get some credit for this. And so I wanted to point out my small victory this week 
And I would invite you to share yours now as we go into small groups for, and we'll go for about 15 minutes. So that gets everybody three to four minutes. And, you know, how's it going for you being second tier in a first tier world? You know, what are your challenges? Where have you had a, you know, a little success? So I hope you all had a nice conversation about being second tier in a first tier world. <laughs> so if you would like to uh, share something, you could put it on the chat or uh, raise your hand. And in the meantime, as you're sort of noodling any questions or comments you'd like to make, I just raise your hand on the little Zoom thingy. Um, the, the, I was talking about, you know, green is fluorescing. It's coming online and it's the next stage of human development and it has its upsides and downsides. And one of the downsides is depression <laughs> because there's nothing to believe in. Everything is deconstructed. The, 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 the whole project of postmodernity is to criticize because, you know, we need to rebuild the world in a more equitable and sustainable way. So hallelujah. But the downside is depression. We see it with the teenagers. We see it with their parents. And I just wanted to um, uh, show some of the sort of struggle that the New York Times is undergoing with this issue, because I think people are becoming aware of that. I mean, certainly people are becoming aware of the despair in teenagers. Uh, and, you know, it's not just, um, you know, the pandemic. And there's lots of reasons, but it's basically the worldview, you know, in my opinion. But here's an example. This is from the New York Times opinion page a week or so ago. And it's about plastics in the water. And it says, to be human is to contain plastic. And here's the kicker. Maybe this has been our fate all along to achieve final communion with our own garbage. <laughs> yeah, no. And, um, you know, just that sort of nihilistic. And, and you hear that. I hear that in my friends. I hear that just the sort of cynical... You know, the, we divide the world, be, every stage divides the world between uh, winners and losers is orange and so forth. Green is cool and uncool. And <laughs> people who are cool don't buy this. You know, it's, it, it's all hopeless. It's all a piece of shit. Humans are a cancer. But there is a pushback. And so here's David Brooks a few days later. The self-destructive effects of progressive sadness and he talks about, get over this, stop this, especially with the kids. Seeing catastrophe everywhere decreases people's sense of agency. Right on. Um, betting on fusion energy shows our kids we care. That's a little positive. And then this one, to save the planet, you have to sell the beach. So sell the beach is an expression they use with um, the timeshares. <laughs> where you got to let people know what's on the other side of this. It's not just doing a timeshare. It's not just saving the planet. It's like we have a beautiful new world. And so there's a, you know, we're, we're struggling. We're getting, we're working our way through it. So uh, Wheaton, what would you like to ask or share today? I just want to share very briefly something that I'm in the process of learning. And that is that when when you speak from the second tier, it's very possible to embody red, blue, green. 
and if you're passionate about the world as as I happen to be, it's very easy to, when you're embodying that to speak passionately as though that's the truth. And it's very, um, very important to learn a vocabulary that doesn't inflame the opposing point of view, like guns are all bad. Well, that's going to create a lot of pushback. You know, guns are killing children. That's true. Can we talk about it? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a matter of how we how we say it. And that passionate, absolute is just a really it's easy to embody, but it's a it's it's not a good way to be. And it's part of my learning right now. Just want to share. Don't need more. Right on. We, I, I totally agree. And I love the part about passion because that's the upside of red. It's just they're alive. I'm here. You know, it's the <laughs> ecocentric point of view. I have this to say. And the, the upside of that even that is often overlooked is playfulness. Red's playful at its best. And I think that having a light heart in these discussions with people as we, you know, bring this vision to the world is, you know, people find that kind of irresistible. Okay, anybody else? Well, were you going to mention? Were you going to mention that fucker Carlson guy? I I, I did a, a podcast on him that we just released yesterday. Oh, I uh, thought so, that was today. Okay, I have to go back and listen to that. Okay. No, no, I could see where you think that we were going to talk about Tucker Carlson today because okay. both in the and same it, email. But and this is fine. I'm not complaining. Believe. I just thought, oh, did I miss something? Okay, so yes, yeah. I did. Thank but, you. I, I will say, you know, every week's a new adventure. And I notice even in the week since I recorded that, that there's a sort of a mini Tucker boom among progressives, uh, particularly the uh, progressives, because it's like my one friend, he's this lefty, he's an old anti-Vietnam lefty. And, you know, he followed Glenn Greenwald and those guys over to Tucker Carlson. Uh, with Matt Tiabi and in that group, uh, and Elon was on Matt uh, on Tucker Carlson, and bemoaned the fact that he is he was the most um, effective progressive voice. I mean, not progressive, but populist voice in the media, and uh, and he's gone now, or we'll see if he's gone. It's like I said in the podcast. Tucker Carlson is religious and, and apparently sincerely so in that way of traditionalists and even red where God is your superhero, you know, it's sort of your egotistic God. Uh, but he may very well see this as an opportunity to do what nobody else could do uh, in the Republican Party, and that is to go up against Trump in the primaries. I don't know if he will, but he could. Because first of all, he's on record as loathing Trump. He called him a demonic force in all these tweets and stuff. So it's not like it's a secret. And secondly, he can just say what everybody knows, which is that even if you liked Trump's policies, I mean, I don't know if Biden or Trump would have been better on Ukraine, but I do know that if it had been Trump, we'd have less killing. I'd still think I'm with Biden on that, but I don't know. Integral, I have my opinions are far more fluid than they used to be. So the only problem with Trump is that, you know, it's like I talk about Elon Musk has a red streak. Uh, we all have a red streak. And if we're 
smart, we cultivate that and, and, and you know, bring it out appropriately. But Trump, <laughs> Trump has a red heart. Yes. You know, and so, you know, starting with birtherism, just completely fabricated bad faith. I've got investigators in Indonesia. I've got investigators in Hawaii. This is the deal. He's not born here. Obama. Or the insurrection, you know, where he sits in his ass and watches these people crawl over the Capitol building with guns. I mean, astonishing. So completely um, disqualified from leadership. He could say that uh, and still bring an intelligent populist voice to the party. And so I talk about that. <laughs> so that's a little of the preview of the, of the Tucker. So, who else? Yeah, yeah, Jeff, you you uh, oh, you briefly you briefly showed the headline from the New York Times, but um, I thought I would um, quickly read a couple paragraphs in that article because I found it really insightful and actually really really hopeful. Um, and I think speaks directly to um, some of the things you were talking about earlier. Please. So David Brooks says, um, "I say that liberal sadness was maladaptive." because the mindset didn't increase people's sense of agency. It decreased it. Trying to pass legislation grounds your thought in reality and can lead to real change. But when you treat politics as an emotional display, you end up making yourself and everyone else feel afflicted and powerless. Here's the line I really like. I share the widespread sense that the woke era is winding down. Hallelujah, brother. Things are calming down. I hope that people are coming to the same corny conclusion that I have. If you want healthy politics, encourage people to have confidence in their ability to make a difference. Don't undermine that confidence. Um, I just, I, I, Hallelujah. I, I, love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And it's not like woke is gone to die. Woke's online now. We can see it in that Wall Street Journal poll. And, 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 and it's one of the things that you know, Ken would talk about, uh, or maybe Don Beck, but it's a horizontal evolution that all of these stages, the postmodern, modern, and traditional particularly, these are the three big worldviews online. They're also becoming more sophisticated within their own confines. Mm. You know, so woke still gets to do its work and has plenty to do but it doesn't get to colonize the system. Modernity still has work to do. I mean, what are we learning with these telescopes and all of this stuff that we're learning and artificial intelligence now? And oh my God, what modernity still has to do. And, and in traditionalism too, the new traditionalism that you see on Twitter, these back to the farm kind of people, they're great. You know, people who are trying to resurrect a spiritual life and a family life. Uh, not to go back to the 50s or 20s, but to bring it all forward yep. into a new integration. That's the game. Yeah. And it's happening. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, and of course, these things change over time, Jeff. And, you know, one of the questions I had for you earlier is how do we discern sort of the actual green elements of the woke movement versus, you know, because none of these movements can be sort of constrained to a single stage of development, right? All of these are value stacks and certain, you know, parts of that value stack 
might be lighting up at any time. And I would wager that a lot of people who are heavily invested in the woke movement or identify themselves in the woke movement aren't themselves necessarily green, aren't no. themselves necessarily capable of producing the kinds of perspectives that generate woke green views no. in the first place. But guys, this has always been true. This was true of the civil rights movement, right? Not everyone in the civil rights movements of the 1960s were actually coming from a green center of gravity. Right. However, there was a green sort of normative discourse that was enforced by the leaders of that movement, which was green. Things like passive resistance, for example, is the green strategy that is now organizing the red people in the movement, the amber people in the movement. Yes the orange people in the movement. And, and now, retrospectively, we consider that a green movement, even though I would wager 85% of the people who showed up for that movement weren't themselves necessarily green. Absolutely. I, no, I using using green as, you know, as red uses green as, uh, uh, you know, as, uh, as a weapon. That's you right. Know, absolutely. And this is where lines and levels of development help, that we have, you know, we can have a cognitive understanding of, egalitarianism and so forth and but if our hearts are still in that uh, you know victim mode or good and evil mode then we're going to address it from that stage of development or even the modern mode right you know, which is right. you know, teasing apart so anyway thanks Corey Andrew let's hear from you oh hey uh, everyone I was just going to share that uh, from you know my subjective point of view I, I believe that woke um is on the ascendancy actually i'm going to take a counter point of view i don't believe enough of the fat of the population has come through in any way shape or form green yet you know and i think we've got to remember that for a lot of people their leading edge might be at early stage green but they're the fat of the land in terms of their development is still you know orange green and I think we've got a long way to go on woke. I kind of think about, you know, like it's it's almost like the eye of the storm. We've had a few years of early wokeism, and I think it's going to evolve into a more dangerous wokeism, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, in Australia, we have constitutional reform on the agenda at the moment where Aboriginals will get a voice that none of us uh, Anglo-Saxons or the invading colonists uh, will get. And so that's just a, a, a marker of where we're at. We've actually got so much societal distortion uh, going on at the moment. I see more anger than ever, to be honest. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think uh, I think wokeism's <laughs> just going to go through another phase and it's going to get stronger. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of that, I sort of ask myself, who cares? Because there's a lot of idiot compassion floating around. And it's not seen by the majority of the population that are in green and you can't see it until you get to late stage teal. And so, you know, I kind of sit there and I go, what does it really matter if we're deconstructing our identity? Because there's a construction in the first place. And what positives might come of, you know, completely deconstructing that? I think we could have some very positive outcomes. People might realise who they really are. It's got nothing to do with whether you've got a penis in a vagina. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Well said. Yeah. Well said. That's, and I agree. I think that woke is plenty more to do. I mean, our, our society isn't egalitarian yet. We're not sustainable yet. You know, that those, those those two biggies right there. 
plus the therapeutic culture and so forth. The question is, can we navigate that against people who want to completely deconstruct, you know, the good of modernity and traditionalism? And I think there is some tide turning there. Perhaps it's the eye of the hurricane, probably is. Uh, but yeah, but then there's the promised land on the other side. So. I, would, I would just offer one last thing. I know I've been reading a lot of uh, Lao Tzu lately, uh, Jeff and, and crew. And I just wonder whether we just relax and just uh, let nature take its course. Mm. And, you know, I, you know, I love this group. I really do. Um, sometimes I think we feel like we've got more control or influence than we actually have. Mm-hmm. And when we step back, nature dominates everything yeah and so you know what if we were just to stand aside and allow this to happen what might be yeah Yeah. let non-doing do its thing i love that michael hello thank you um this is a, a personal share from something that you uh triggered jeff i can't remember exactly what you said but uh, a couple of people ago, <clears throat> um, which is, it's a marker of my own growth in the last couple of years. And it's something about like, you know, being at an integral stage. Um, I, I really came on to the fact that my son-in-law is um, blue orange. And my, my daughter is, you know, pretty high green. I would say. And there's something that I think a couple of years ago, I would have thought, well, that's just not right. That's, you know, that's, you know, she's not, she's not doing well in, you know, or whatever, uh, you know, judging it on a certain elitism. And, and now I'm like, I really appreciate, I mean, he's got a, he, he does it pretty healthily. He's not, you know, if he was a conspiracy theorist, I'd, you know, go kill him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, with my daughter, but, um, but he's not. He's he's a he's a very you know a beautiful farm guy. He's a farmer. Grew up on a farm in North Dakota. You know he has really deep values that way. Where you know just how you transact things. And he wants to be successful. He's got plenty of orange. Wants to provide for his family. It's a beautiful you know. I can really appreciate that level, especially without the distortion of all the conspiracy theories. Where you you sort of I can't I can't see it right. No. That's why I like. I also like um, uh, anti-Trump Republicans are really good people. Yeah. You know, they're really, yeah. you know, they move yeah, you're something always, deep. It's today. always interesting to see the true believers break ranks yes. with the true beliefs. That's, that always captures my attention. But yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. We want to, uh, everybody's got, you know, their thing to offer, actually. And, and if we right. turn right. critical to curious, <clears throat> it changes the whole ball. Right. You know. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Well, anybody else? Hi. Yes. Uh, when I look at what's happening with the internet in general, and with Zoom and social media, and now with this new level of AI that is hard to wrap our minds around, um, what what I think it was what you said, Jeff, um, that people are saying this is bigger than the agricultural revolution. This is bigger than the printing press. Uh, press. This is as big as fire. And I've been saying 
for some time. You know, I've been, uh, some of you know, I've been reading Ken Wilber since 1983. So I've been kind of following along his lines of development. I see this move from first tier into second tier. This, as, as you folks have been saying all along, this is not just another new emergent level of complexity in human culture. This is a new tier. We have gone from the physiosphere to the biosphere to the noosphere, you know, the intellect, we're going into the theosphere. We're, this is a whole new fourth stage. This is as big with the new integral mutational leap into the next level. This is as big as fire and language. And now with this new, and I've been saying this, ha, 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 and then I, I watch who smiles and nods and who edges toward the door. But now with this new AI, I'm saying, holy Toledo. It's not just coming online in the next five years or 10 years or 20 years. It's already happening. It came online and six months ago for Corey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And this yeah. is like it. Nobody's in control. This yeah. was one of the points that was. Well, Elon in talked about that with Bill Maher, too. Of course, Elon yeah. is very pro-regulation yeah. uh, in terms and of AI. So it was a final point, Karen. Yeah. I mean, this is bottom up. This is this is emergent now. Yeah. Nobody's in control. That's why the Chinese don't want to deal with it because they can't control it. Yeah. So the genie's out of the bottle, folks. Hang on for the ride. And I, 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 um, what Ken Wilber was saying in his last chapter of the religion of tomorrow, it is a certainty. This is a level that is already laid down in the cosmos as a stage headed our way. It's in the mail. It's a tsunami that is still thousands of miles offshore. No, the tsunami's landing now. So, and what <laughs> can you. we do? We can, we can just be integral as integral as we can be what we believe, be the change we want to see. And yeah. Hold on, folks, and understand that we are our Buddha nature. We're not our bodies. For all our, those of us who are on spiritual paths, probably just about everybody here, probably that's that, that I see is the way forward. And so yeah. I'll wrap up there. Right on, Karen. Thank you, Phyllis. Um, a couple of things. Uh, I'm thinking about diversity, and I'm looking at the screen, and I'm thinking about this screen where most of us kind of look somewhat alike, you know, but we're a, a small group that we say is um, is sort of a narrow stripe in the scheme of, you know, the leading edge of things. And yet, if you're going to be talking about diversity, we're probably not going to be included in that word. And I think that there's a real um, problem with that there, because I think that diversity is diversity. It means everybody. And my question really is, do you think that perhaps AI, I mean, I have just, but do you think that one part of AI perhaps may be a uniting um, alien invasion almost, so to speak, that, um, that it becomes something that, that really requires that we really discern what is most human about us? What is most human about who we are, what we are, and that perhaps AI is something that we can um, rally, I hate to say against, because I don't believe that it should be against. I think it's a wonderful tool that can be used beautifully, but something that can really work to change our idea of what human diversity is and what we need to do as a global movement. And maybe AI has that purpose also. Yeah. Corey, are you here to respond? I did, yeah. Um, 
uh, I, I would say this is definitely something we're going to get into tomorrow for sure. I do have um, a lot of uh, hope and, and actually, you know, sort of confidence that AI is going to help us overcome a lot of the dysfunctions that we've seen uh, um, with the social media movement. And I think, Jeff, the way this really connects with your presentation today is I think um, a lot of the worst elements of wokeism and of the MAGA movement, et cetera, all of these extremes are products of social media. This is is what the world looks like after it's been baking in social media for 15 years. Yeah. And I think that there are any number of, yeah. Algorithms of outrage. That's right. We could consider these algorithms to be the first failure of artificial intelligence, actually. Yeah. And it's yeah. a failure that actually created these epistemic bubbles. And, you know, even though the internet was, was promised to be sort of a uniting force for us to bring people together and it's going to reinvent democracy and all that. Social media kind of took us in the opposite direction. Well, I'd um, argue that it took us in both directions. But, sure. I think that's totally fair. I think it's totally because we're able to have experiences. Like, I mean, it's hard to overestimate no. how it's knitted people together. I mean, it's just right. both. That's right. I but think it's created patterns friend, We fight and friend and fail our way forward. That's right. Yep. So right. we'll talk about this a bunch uh, tomorrow. Okay. And uh, I have time for one more uh, comment. And there's, Caroline, you haven't said anything yet. And Michael and Andrew hold it for the next time. And Caroline. Thank you so much. Well, I have a quick share. And it's building on a comment Karen made earlier. And that is, I, I think I've noticed in the world, in my small world here in Toronto, Ontario, um, in the last... 10, 15 years, I've noticed more people thinking about their thinking. And that's really been obvious to me. And um, so when I really started to unpack this, um, you know, Ken Wilber's work and with Corey's help and Dr. Keith, <laughs> I love that podcast as well. So I started to enroll my family in this. So I had the whole family here one day for dinner and uh, I said, well, let me tell you about this whole theory thing. And my mom, who's now 89, was like into it. And, you know, she said, when I was your age, you know, my, my husband told me what to think. And before him, it was my father told me what to think. And she said, it's a brand new world when you're allowed to think for yourself. And she said, it's not easy. So she's really laughing at all this um, Ken Wilber's work, read a number of his books already. But the last thing I wanted to share about that was, I mean, it's really working. And it's just all of us, one by one, doing these little things. She wound up having a fall or something, and my sisters had to take her to emergency. And, of course, she was there for hours. But she came prepared. She brought Ken Wilber's spirituality book. <laughs> He's reading that in the emergency. And a little episode That's occurred it. in front of them. And um, there was a young guy who's about 30, he was looking after an older guy who was really in a bad way, and he was on the floor. And when the young guy looked up, he was looking at my mother reading this book, and he said, well, that's an interesting title. What's that about? And before you know it, my mother is giving a whole little lecture in this waiting room of emergency on Ken Wilber's theory. I think she sold a, like a dozen books that night. <laughs> oh, I hope so. 
it's catching oh, on from time to yeah. day. And I, I sort of see it as like an underlying trend that wasn't here even in the 90s. People are thinking about how they think yeah. and tweaking it day yeah. by day, present moment by present moment. No, it's it's so true. And that's part of the sort of meditative culture that's come online, just the idea that I could actually watch my thoughts and not just, exactly. you know, uh, compulsively play them out or think that they're me. And so yeah. if I'm watching my thoughts, who's watching the thoughts? Who's the watcher? And that's, you know, we're, we're working our way towards vision logic. And that's the integral stage of development. And yes, it's happening fast. It and is. when I think of the scary parts, I'm glad I'm old. <laughs> and when I think of the good parts, I'm sorry that I'm old. But yeah. uh, there we go. Anyway, thank you all, folks. It's really fun to just hang with you uh, on a Wednesday afternoon. And um, I'll be back on June 7th. And um, we'll see you then. Thanks, folks. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. 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 Great discussion. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Have a great evening. Enjoy it very much. I'll see All you right. tomorrow, Corey. Thanks so much. Great conversation. Really great. Thanks nice. so much. Thank you. It's All been right. a long time, Jeff, and it was totally worth it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Warms my heart. See yeah. you next time. Bye.